Growth Podcast in episode 28. And you're here because we want to expose you to high performers in business and technology, share their ideas, their strategies, their insights, their rituals, so you can hopefully execute on your dreams, learn more, grow, and be better. So my today's guest is Adrian Schmidt. He's an entrepreneur, engineer, innovator, and the CEO of a company called Bouquet AI. It's a software company. They're on a mission to voice activate the world's databases through natural language conversations. What it really means is when you have a massive database of data, right, your Salesforce or your Oracle database, and you need a report or you need to ask some sort of a question, or you'd like to know what's my results for Q2, what was the churn rate? You ask an assistant and they will tell you the answer right away versus just going through the data, pulling the dashboard and spending half an hour, an hour of your time, you can get the data instantly. So that's what Aristotle does. And we'll dive into more details on the show. Adrian was named one of the eight AI entrepreneurs to watch by Inc. Magazine. He's a regular contributor to Kibo Daily, which is a digital media and tech company in the United States. And in 2013, he was a chairman of uh, Numa, which is a France's number one startup accelerator and co-working space. So here's my chat with Adrian. Okay, I'm here with Adrian Schmidt. Uh, Adrian, thanks a lot for joining me here today. Hey, Sergey, thanks for having me. When you were leading Squid Solutions and there were only four of you in the company, this was 2008, how was it like to raise that $3 million, $3 million Series A? Yeah, yeah, that was that was very cool. Um, we were uh, just four of us. Uh, we'd been working on the project for a couple years and had you know started you know just started generating revenue with uh, some pretty big names, and so that that got us to to raise that money. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a pretty big raise at the time in France, uh, so it was pretty visible. And uh, I remember the the first thing we did almost was uh, we we ran to see the guy that we wanted to hire the most. Uh, and, and we said, Hey, you can come now, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So it was, it was for us finally the opportunity to get the people we wanted on board. And, and so Mm -hmm. that was for, you know, really the beginning of it all for us. And tell me a little bit and the, the the listeners, what does Squid, what Squid Solutions did? Because I think it was pretty cool, uh, what you were able to come up with. Yeah. So what we were doing at the time was, uh, we were already positioning ourselves on big data analytics. And what we were bringing to the table was a, a capacity to run uh, queries inside of the databases of really big customers. Um, talking about eBay, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for them, for example, it was, it was kind of hard with the technology at the time to do a lot of um, analytical queries uh, automatically because most of the software would require to extract data and to crunch right. it in memory. And uh, we were talking already about, you know, multiple dozens or hundreds of terabytes of data. So you, you couldn't really do that. Um, mm-hmm. So the alternative at the time was to write uh, queries. And uh, our software was able to generate those queries automatically. So uh, as a result, yeah. we were able to work on some really cool projects. Um, I just mentioned eBay. I mean, we were part of the team mm-hmm. that was working on how to sort uh, search results on their search page. And so so that would really have a direct impact on uh, 
on user experience on the bottom line. I mean, it was it was a really big deal, and uh, and that's also why we got that funding. That's amazing. Yeah, that's so amazing, especially con- considering the timing. So you let Squid Solutions wasn't your first company. You're now leading a new, a different company. Where did it all start for you? Where was that moment that your career took off? So um, before working at Squid Solutions, I mean, before co-founding Squid Solutions, I was in a company that already was doing some really cool stuff in analytics. Um, In fact, I think it was probably one of the first companies in the world to automate a machine learning process. Um, And we're talking about the really early 2000s here. and we were doing that on a specific business um, issue, which was churn for telecom operators. So, you know, how to predict based on call patterns uh, right. who was going to leave and who was at risk. And uh, that was a huge problem that all of the telecom operators were facing because of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it required, you know, crunching a lot of data, really a lot of data, and building models. Um, very quickly to be able to have the highest level of precision in forecasting the most at-risk customers. So um, I was in that company. It was great. It was acquired by a bigger company. Mm -hmm. But then it ran into trouble during the telecom bubble burst. And, um, you know, we had, I was working with a fantastic team, uh, really loved the people I was working with. And when the the big company kind of decided to shut down our business unit because of that telecom burst, um, with a couple of colleagues, you know, three three other colleagues, we said, well, you know, we, we got to keep on going, uh, working mm-hmm. together. And also we thought, well, you know, data is, is going to be big. I mean, data has very tangible applications in, in, in marketing for the business, and we want to be there. Uh, to do some data, you know, to have some data processes applied to marketing. So that was before big data and it was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you kind of took that vision and you're still by and large involved in that with uh, Bouquet AI that you're leading right now. Yeah, I guess that's the uh, thread of uh, my career so far. Um, it's, mm-hmm. and, and we've seen, so that was, remember at the time it was, it was fun because nobody was talking about big data um, and, and now there are just so many different applications. So it went, of course, way beyond uh, what we had ever imagined. And also, you know, right. so many very smart people started doing it. And uh, a lot of, I mean, you know, a million other uh, way smarter people did uh, were a lot more successful in, in their endeavors. And, and I think it really, mm-hmm. I mean, it's something that's here to stay, right? We're, we're going to keep on using uh, data for, for, for decades, right? Yeah, and I mean, right now with uh, with AI, like we'll look at not only obviously B two B applications; they've been there for quite a quite a while. But like uh, things that are every single consumer will be able to experience every day, with like Android Q coming out, uh, with all these automated responses to the messages. It's so cool that we are actually starting to get that, and we are not even t- talking about Google Assistant that Aristotle will be able to work with, along with Siri and all of all those uh, really cool Amazon Alexa uh, voice assistants. So what is the vision behind the Boutique AI at the moment? Yeah, so, uh, well, at, at Bouquet, when, when we started uh, Bouquet, our initial vision was to say, you know, more and more products are becoming digital products. And, and actually, you know, now almost all products in some way or form are becoming digital. And 
when you make a digital product, you, you want it to be a smart product, right? Because it's digital, then usually you associate digital with smart. And when you have something smart, it involves analytics, right? So our initial vision was to say, well, you know, if there's analytics embedded into every product, let's make something that's like a stripe for analytics, right? Meaning a tool for developers to build analytics inside of their products without having to rebuild everything uh, from scratch, right? So a bunch of APIs uh, that developers can use to, to do what they what they want to do, but still focus on you know their product, but but leverage a, a bunch of you know uh, mm -hmm. mutualized tools. Um, and so that's that's what we set out to do. Um, but in the process of doing that, one day my my partner Mario's Anapliotis came up and said, listen. I met this cool company, they do chatbots, and I asked them to put a chatbot on top of our of our software, right? And say, hey, mm -hmm. can you just put a chatbot on top of our APIs? And he said, check it out, this is what it looks like. And um, and by, you know, that was, uh, you know, in, in what, in early 2017. And mm -hmm. so I'd been already working in data for like 15 years, and what I saw just you know that was i had never seen anything like that before i was like right. you know what this is this is new and and not only is it new but further but it's cool <laughs> and and yeah. it's so fast right it's so fast mm -hmm. i mean you know this to get this information it's a sample question that you gave me i mean i would otherwise have to go into a dashboard you know but before that log into a system and then browse the right dashboard and then go into the dashboard and and do all sorts of drill downs and you know use menus and and use uh, drop downs and use filters and and all of this stuff i don't have to do it anymore it's amazing right 100 percent so that's that's that was kind of uh, so the vision was to say well you know I think we've pretty much been wanting to democratize data to make it available for non-technical people for for years and this was kind of the epitome of that right it, it was really a way to make it mm -hmm. um, uh, just uh, available to anybody who could speak the language right uh, right so uh, so we showed it around uh, we got some really good feedback and you know. A couple months later, we said, "Okay, you know what? We're, this is what we're. This is the only thing that we're going to do. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna forget about uh, the um, all the API part for now. Uh, we're just going to focus on 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 this, and we called it Aristotle because of right. the dialogues, right? But it's but it's also incredible. Like even every almost every person right now who owns a smartphone, they can ask, "Oh, just set an appointment for X, Y, Z thing," and it will save a person well eight, maybe twelve clicks, right? So it will save them like thirty seconds, maybe forty seconds. So with Aristotle uh, and the things you're talking about, creating a dashboard, putting the filters on top, and working with potentially terabytes of data, that would save like half an hour, an hour, and like potentially tons of hours uh, compounded over the years, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and um, and that's why um, we're you know we're we're coining a term. Uh, uh, we'll see if people pick it up, but we we call this casual data usage, right? If you make something easy enough and quick enough, I mean, and, and that kind of goes hand in hand, right? If it's if it's easy enough to do something, then you can start doing it casually. You can get the habit. So let's say we're having a conversation and we're talking about, uh, you know, page views and stuff. Well, you know, it's, we can substantiate every conversation we have, every email we have. Anytime we come up with, hey, 
you know, how many page views did we have, by the way, yesterday on, on our uh, sign-up page? Well, instead of just saying, oh, we probably had around 2,000, we can say, hey, you know, Aristotle, how many page views did we have on the, our, our sign-up page? Get the answer right away on the spot and take the habit of actually going to data every time it um, every time we, 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 we need it, right? And, and that could happen uh, during conversations in the hallway, when you're writing an email, when you're driving a car, it could happen in front of a customer. I mean, it could happen all the time, right? And so I think, you know, eventually our vision is, is to, to, to promote this, this, uh, this habit. Right, and yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, when companies develop slicers, when they have a fancy dashboard, Salesforce came up with slicers, so it's easier to to see oh what's what's my page views for yesterday or today. That always sounds like a half baked solution. It's not quite the complete thing. Versus what you are talking about is way way different. It's it's like jumping from the the fast car into a flying car. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, I would. Uh, I'll, I'll use that one <laughs> in our in our in our sales pitches. Um, you know, and and at the end of the day, uh, I don't think we're inventing anything here because, as you said, this is the experience that we have as consumers, um, and and the numbers are here to show that people love it. You know, so it makes sense that they get the same experience in their uh, professional work life. So we had a computer, a personal computer revolution, then came obviously an internet. Right now, texting and chatbots are getting really strong. Maybe they're not quite as as transformational, but do you see AI as the next frontier? Yeah, you know, I mean, for me, and, 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 and here I'm really referring to like a lot of literature out there, but, you know, if it's something to be a, a revolution or, or really transformational uh, means that it dramatically changes the way uh, that we do things, either by making things, you know, a lot faster or a lot easier or accessible to, you know, many, many more people. Right. And I mean, I think AI obviously fits into this category whether it's for natural language understanding like you know the technology that we use or mm -hmm. whether it's in computer vision uh or you know whatever other applications you know and there there are you know a huge number of applications out there so it, it's really transformative in 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 speed in ease of use in democratization in helping and it's it's a very strong enabling technology and being mm -hmm. an enabling technology i think really qualifies it as um a revolution 100 100 so there's this concept and uh, a lot of people have different opinions on that over promising and under delivering uh, on the product launch and this is so uh, all entrepreneurs will know that and you know some entrepreneurs think it's maybe it's not quite a good idea a re on the other hand you hear Reid Hoffman with his classic quote if you not embarrassed by your first product you launch too late I was curious like what's your take on that where do you find balance for you yeah so um, that's a it's a really good point um, and I, you know, I I, I was just talking to another entrepreneur um, who who coined it this way, and I think it's a it's a really uh, it's a pretty good way to I think it resonated with me. Um, mm -hmm. The first thing he said was, you know, when you sell software, you sell some dream, right? And so if you if you're in software, you have to sell a big vision. You you right. you want your 
the people that you're selling to, your prospects, the people, your listeners, to think, okay, you know, this is going to be transformational. So, so you have to promise something that isn't, you know, it's you have to overpromise, right? Uh, it's part of the pitch. Mm-hmm. People expect that from software. However, the nuance is you can overpromise, or you could, you know, set out a big vision, right? Um, and yeah. say, look, you know, this is what we are aiming to do, right? Mm-hmm. Now, it's true that if you don't make the distinction between your big vision and your actual capacity, then you're starting to run into trouble. So um, always overpromise on your vision and say, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going that, you know, we're going as high as that. We're aiming for yeah. the moon or the stars or, you know, we're, we're aiming for that. We are here today, right? This is where we are in this vision. We have a path to get to what we want to do, but let's be clear that this is where we are today. And mm-hmm. and the this is where we are today has to be close to reality and maybe even, you know, under your capacity so that you can pleasantly surprise and delight your customer when he uses your product. Um, so, so I think that's the nuance um, that um, mm. has uh, that we're you know we're trying to uh, follow in that. In that that's space. a that's a fantastic distinction, and also I feel like it aligns expectations of all the VCs, all investors, all the folks who are collaborating on. Oh, there's actually there's a line there versus uh, I'm expecting to see this tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, what they would want to see now, VC wants to see. Okay, do you have, you know, the uh, if we put in money, do you have the, the brains, right, and the talent and uh, and the organization to to get to that point, right? Um, and if if all you're missing to do it is money, you know, that's what they're here to do. Um, if if you can't yourself describe precisely where you are in that journey then you're not really building trust, right? They're going to say, right. well, if he doesn't even know where he is in that journey, how am I going to you know, be comfortable yeah. with him knowing what to do next to get to where he wants to go? Talk to me about hiring. In one of your articles, you said, and I really like that, start with hackers. Interns are great hackers. What are you personally looking for in this early stage employees besides the fact that they should be a match in values and they must be committed long term? Yeah, you know, when when you get started, um, there's a couple of, I mean, what do you need to do, right? Um, You got to go back to the fundamentals Mm -hmm. is, what are you doing? So first of all, um, well, you don't have a lot of money, probably, right? So um, what are you, what can you do with what you have? Um, And in that sense, interns are are great because, um, you know, they learn. Uh, they're also here to learn, so they, they need to set time aside for learning, um, which means that you can pay them less than a full-time employee, right? So it saves money. Um, the other thing that you're doing when you're just getting started is, you know, what would I call hacking? Uh, and I, I mean, I don't call that hiking. I mean, hacking is just the term hacking, which is yeah. basically to get to a prototype of what you want very quickly. If it means you know cutting some technical corners, um, well then that's that's okay because you want to kind of prove your concept. You want to say you know this is what it looks like. Okay, it, it's not super scalable. I won't be able to roll it out inside of a healthcare company that has lives depending on it. 
right? Right. Um, right. But I can already show you what I'm trying to do and, and to get the initial use cases of how this can help um, a company, you know, generate value. So hack, basically, it's as if you were thinking, or as if we were thinking at the time, well, we need to build something that we're okay to throw away and rebuild once we can hire a proper CTO and have an actual engineering team. And, um, and to be honest, that's pretty much mm -hmm. what ended up happening is that we, uh, we had enough early proof points with our hacker interns uh, to get the initial phases of recognition and, and, and some early money to be able to hire that CTO and rebuild uh, the product with a proper architecture. And I think you also talk about that you shouldn't be selling the product first. You should actually sell the, the concept or MVP or even before a pre-MVP. And then if that thing works, then you actually build a product, as you just saying, with a CTO. Yeah, because engineering is very expensive, right? Um, and if you set out to build the proper product too early, um, well, you're very likely going to build the wrong things and yeah. uh, spend some valuable time and money <clears throat> on things that you should not have done. So that's that's why I was a, really a big fan, especially when we got started um, to uh, have this hacker uh, mode. What separates a good CEO from a great one? Uh, I'd love to know. <laughs> Maybe you can tell me. <laughs> well, I have some some ideas. <laughs> um, you know what? This uh, this the the good to great um, was addressed. You know, in Jim Collins' book, uh, mm -hmm. you yeah. know that uh, a bunch of us referred to uh, into into what you know the level five leaders and stuff. And what it what it what I really my takeaway from that book is that. Um, it's it, you know it's it's not so much about the CEO as it's about the team, right? And um, and the CEO's main role is to put the right people on the bus, right? So mm -hmm. uh, and well, not only that, but to put the right people in the right place on the bus, right? So right. It, it, I, I you know what what separates a good CEO from a, a great one is that a great CEO will have a great team and fantastic people uh, to actually make the. Uh, the company succeed. Um, I think when we had a chat early on, you, you said you were a big fan of Steve Jobs, you know, so am I. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he famously said, you don't, you don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. You hire smart people for them to tell you what to do. Right. And exactly. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's like the dream, right? Obviously, if you mm -hmm. start with interns, they're not going to tell you what to do. It's more the other way around. Right. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, I would say that um, that would be, um, probably the most uh, successful way to for a company to, to make it is actually to have uh, a team that um, successfully delivers, uh, knows, uh, has you know generates ideas, is committed to customer success, and um, and that's more about the team than it is about the CEO. Right, right. No, absolutely. Team it makes such a big difference. Um, so. How has I wanted to talk a little bit about failures because they come up many times, especially for for people who are trying to build something from nothing. How has a failure or maybe a parent failure set you up for later success? 
Uh, yeah, so failures are a big topic in, in startups. Um, I mean, if you can avoid failure, <laughs> by all means avoid it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not, it, you don't have to go through failure uh, to succeed. And, uh, and if you can avoid it, really, really do that. Um, I, I think it's all about learning. Um, because when you, when you start your company, there's um, a lot that you need to learn about your market, your customers, your technology, the competition, um, you know, so many different, uh, you know, users and so many different aspects of the business. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of the learning you learned through failures because, you know, you, you had an assumption, you tried it out, it didn't work. So, so that's, um, that's why we have to go through these failures because mm -hmm. it doesn't always work at the first time. Now there, you know, failures becomes, uh, you know, sets you up for success. If you're able to sit, you know, step back, um, reflect on the experience, understand what happened and learn from it and do better next time. So, so that's, that's the role that it plays. Um, now failures also cost money. Uh, and time. So yep. um, try to minimize the time and money that you'll spend uh, failing and um, and set yourself up for success by spending the less time and money possible is, I think, is a critical part of this whole process. Was there anything for in your career that stood out in terms of failures that really helped you? Um, something that was pretty apparent uh, could be early on in your career. Um, yeah, so we, um, I, I think that, uh, one of, um, I mean, so there, there's, you know, there's stuff that you can learn from failures at multiple levels, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of, uh, the ones that sticks with me, you know, if you ask me right off the bat like that is, um, that it's really hard to, and, and we, I think we failed to do that in, in in Squid Solutions and the company before that, it's really hard mm -hmm. to, to shift from being a services-focused company to a product company, right? I think, at, you know, at some point we tried to say, mm -hmm. hey, guys, let's step back from services. You know, we have all this technology. Let's, let's really become, uh, you know, a product-first company. Uh, and it's really, really hard to do. Um, and, and so when we started... Um, the project around uh, Bouquet and, and then mm -hmm. specifically inside of Aristotle, uh, we said, okay, well, we know that we, we're probably not going to succeed in transforming our company if we set ourselves up to do projects rather than products, right? So let's make yeah. sure that um, we uh, set ourselves up as a product company and we put in place uh, processes to, you know, as to be a software mm -hmm. company. Um, and so, so that has a lot of implications. Yeah. And I think that yeah. we we may have been tempted to generate more early revenue on on you know on consulting stuff if we had mm -hmm. not really kept ourselves pretty strictly aligned to to that principle. Yeah, I've heard you are you you're a runner. You like uh, climbing. You're uh, like climbing mountains. When you like say you're you're on a run. Um, I don't really know how many miles or kilometers you're doing, but like, does it really affect your mentality, the way that you think that you have to overcome certain challenges and maybe you do it when you consistently do it and you don't feel like it, that shifts your thinking or maybe not. I was just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Um, you know, probably um, if uh, there's, 
you might have heard about this book. This is, uh, you know, I, there's this writer, this Japanese writer called Haruki Murakami. Have you have you heard of this guy? He's a, no, not really. Yeah, yeah, he's a fantastic. I love his writing, and uh, he mm-hmm. wrote a book called What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. Uh, and so uh, I would really recommend because there's, you know, first of all, he would express things in a way better way that, than I do. Um, yeah. But, you know, what, what I definitely in, in mountain climbing or in running, uh, there's this notion that, um, you, you know, first of all, you could be in a situation that's very painful and that it feels, you know, you just want to stop. But with a little bit of experience, you know that it's temporary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, you have this little hill to climb and you really feel like, you know, you're saying, I mean, this is the end, right? I mean, you can't go any yeah. further. Um, but in fact, you know with experience that you feel like, you feel bad right now, but that in, you know, in five or 10 minutes, it'll actually be okay, right? Mm-hmm. In that, in that, in that this, this is only a temporary setback. So um, I think, you know, that's, that's what I observed also in entrepreneurship is, I mean, sometimes you're like, okay, this is the end, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. see anywhere. I mean, I don't see any way out of this <laughs> horrible situation that we put ourselves in, and um, and you know, we're just gonna die, uh, right. or or you know, or this this customer situation is 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 a disaster, and um, you know, there's no way out of it. But okay, you know, actually, this, things change, and mm-hmm. um, it could come from something unexpected, or you know, you have to have this kind of resilience to say. You know, there's uh, uh, it'll be it'll be better, right? Uh, there's a French saying that says, "Well, after rain comes uh, sunshine," right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and so that's that's experience that you can get. Um, the the other thing is just that you know when you're when you're working and you're concentrating on on a project, um, and in and, and also if you know as a as a CEO you're you're, you're talking to people outside of a company, it mm-hmm. I think it helps to feel good. And uh, that kind of, you know, running or being outdoors or going, you know, mountain, you know, on a hike or something, that just makes me feel good, right? And, um, and, and, and I love that feeling, um, and I think it transpires into uh, what, the way I talk to other people, the team internally, yeah, it just gives energy and stuff. Do you do anything particular for, like, your morning or evening routine to get you up to speed? Because you're, I'm sure you're bombarded by a ton of different things. At the same time, emails, messages, customers, prospects, anything that you do, maybe you're not checking your email first or certain things um, that get your day, so you get your day started right or anything like that. Um, well, I mean, there's a, there's this uh, tiny thing that I do. It's not it's not a big deal, but so I, I drive basically. I, I carpool kids to, to school, and then I and then my work is is really close by, and. Instead of going straight to the office, I take a small, I take a walk, right? And it could be, it's around, you know, 20 minutes. um, And either I use this walk to uh, have a phone call, right? Or if I don't have a phone call to make, I just, I just do the walk and and, and get my day started like that. Um, And that helps me get, you know, a big breath, breath of fresh air, um, also, you know, gets kind of like the blood circulating. And so yeah. when I get then into the office and the day really starts uh, with, you know, being in front of a screen or being in meeting or, or you know, moving around, um, then I already have that 
uh, done and and I feel that I'm a little bit more able to enter into into a new subject faster and with a clearer mind right so yeah, yeah. it's a that's my small routine mm. I mean it's a cool approach I've heard I was reading a book I forgot what it I think it was um, Carl Newport he talked about uh, getting rid of all the social media and uh, and digital and like smartphones to live more focused life where you're not really worried too much about that next email, but you are, you're just, t t you're, you're more offline. You're harder to reach to people. So you're able to focus on that one thing that matters or two things that matter. And so he talked a lot about the walking and how walking actually makes you, um, makes you th reflect a lot and yeah. uh, put together different things that you experienced before uh, into, into something, into like an insight or maybe an answer you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, so I, 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 I totally uh, understand that. And um, you know, I, I, what I've noticed in, in you know, moving to Silicon Valley in, in San Francisco around here is that there's also a habit of having walking meetings, right? Mm. Um, so you, you can really meet someone and instead of this person saying, okay, let's meet into this meeting room in our building, it's like, okay, let's meet in the lobby and, and just have, you know, a walk for like, you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes and, and that'll be the meeting. Uh, and it's a great way to have a conversation, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're outside, you're, you're exchanging ideas, you're in a better landscape. I think... Um, I think Steve Jobs used to do that in the in the hills around uh, Cupertino, right? A lot. I just you know? thought about it. Yeah, he's been such a big fan of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I, yeah, that's that's. I think it's a it's a great way and and gets your 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 daily number of steps up too. So you know, do two things at once. <laughs> <laughs> well, as as much as we can. So you mentioned this one great book that I will link in show notes, by the way, and we'll check it out. What are some of the other books? And those could be any, anything from business or AI or marketing or anything that you keep coming back to. Um, well, so it really depends on what stage of uh, the company I'm at. Um, so one book that has followed me like all through my career is, you know, the, um, uh, the uh, what's it called? Crossing the Chasm, right? I, I always yeah. found that to be like such a smart way of thinking about, you know, how you know, who will adopt your technology and when. Um, and, I, and of course, you know, you can update that and, and that's great. And I think it's been updated through, you know, the customer development books, right? So mm -hmm. lean startup customer development. Um, right. What I'm really focused on now, and, and I read this amazing book on this, I'm really focused on how to have our company and our team um, execute, you know, in, in, in the most, to, you know, at the highest clip. And for mm -hmm. that, um, I read uh, a book that came out last year from John Doerr, the the, uh, the, the mythical uh, uh, Kleiner Perkins venture capitalist, who wrote a book called Measure What Matters, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's about how you roll out objectives and key results, OKRs, yep. in a company and how uh, basically OKRs can really drive a set of people to outperform. Um, mm -hmm. so, um, this is really, for me is, has been top of mind in the past, um, in the past, yeah, you know, couple of months mm -hmm. right now. Very cool. I'll, uh, so yeah, I have, uh, I have read the, obviously crossing the chasm. I haven't read the last one, but I will check it out too. And link for everybody to grab on Amazon. So everybody can check this thing out. Adrian, where is everybody can find you online? Yeah, well, um, so our, our, our website is uh, bouquet.ai, B-O-U-Q-U-E-T, 
et.ai. That's, uh, that's where you can learn everything about Aristotle. Um, we also have an at Aristotle underscore AI uh, Twitter handle. And uh, my personal Twitter handle is A underscore SCHM. So I really look forward to hearing from you guys. That's very cool. Uh, everything's going to be uh, in the show notes. So uh, everybody can check out the product and check out your, uh, your Twitter feed. Adrian, what the last question, what, is the, what impact would you like to have on the world with the work you're doing right now and what you will be doing in the future? Um, wow. Well, see, the thing is, I, um, I, I don't know if I personally want to have a big impact on the world. I think I would like my, my company uh, to have an impact. Um, first of all, um, we'll have my team and, 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 and our customers really, really happy. But also, you know, I, I think we're, we're here on a mission at, at, with Aristotle. We, we want to voice activate the world's databases, right? Um, and, and basically, I think our mission is to kind of change the paradigm around the, 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 the user interface, right? I mean, I, I think it's so, when I, it's so clunky. Right to, yeah. to be using these graphical user interfaces, um, that I think uh, if we could just contribute to changing that and to make things so much better, easier, I think it's liberating for the mind not to have to be forced to go into these menus and windows and all that stuff. Um, I, I think people could work in dramatically better ways, um, and that's also why I'm a, I'm a really huge fan of, of two new devices that that I started working with. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is uh, well the AirPods, right? Which which really starts enabling you know voice communications even to your computer to Aristotle, right? Um, yeah. And the other one is the pencil, right? Um, right. The Apple Pencil, which which I started using and I just like completely fell in love with because all of a sudden you know you you, you work with a a page and not not a not a, a window or a menu or stuff like that that you know are extremely frustrating from a user perspective so um, the pencil is kind of like freedom in terms of information and digital and uh, and i just i just thought that was uh, that's awesome so if we can help by you know bringing language as an interface in a business application like like analytics uh, i think um, i think we'd be very happy with that very cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, Adrian, it was a pleasure talking to you, and thanks a lot for your insights and wisdom. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll be following you around. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks a lot, Sergey. So there you have it. This is Adrian Schmidt in episode 28. If you guys enjoyed it, go on Apple Podcasts and leave a six-star review. This is a six-star only show. And check out what Adrian is doing on his website bouquet.ai and also his twitter handle it's all in the show notes and i will see you guys in the next episode